episode, we open our Bibles to Judges chapter 19. How far can a society sink into moral decay and violence? Well, in this chapter, we will explore one of the most shocking and disturbing stories in the Bible found in the book of Judges. I'd like to warn parents and those sensitive to the subject of abuse that while we intend to keep it PG-13, this chapter contains descriptions of sexual abuse and violence. Listener discretion is advised. It's the story of a Levite and his concubine who traveled through the territory of Benjamin and stopped at a city called Gabeah. There, there they met with a mob of wicked men who demanded to have their way with the man. The Levite gave them his concubine instead, whom he found deceased the next morning. The Levite then cut her body into twelve pieces and sent them throughout Israel, calling for justice and vengeance. The result? A bloody civil war that almost wiped out the tribe of Benjamin. Good morning and blessed Eastertide. Today is Monday, April 24th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. My appreciation goes out to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, whose generous contributions support Thy Strong Word, The Lutheran Heritage Foundation is a ministry which provides Lutheran resources in various languages around the world. Visit them online to learn more about their work and how to get involved at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, I'm pleased to welcome as my guest to help us divide and discern Judges chapter 19, the Reverend Keith Lynch, pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Naples, Florida. Pastor Lynch, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pastor Boo. It's good to be well, with you. Well, it's exciting to have you on. Now, I know you've been on the show before, but this is the first time that you've been on with me as host. So uh, welcome to my interpretation of Thy Strong Word. Uh, you know, since you're on new with me, I'd love to hear about how things are going for you, how God is using you and the saints there at Grace Lutheran down in Naples. I'd be happy to give you a little rundown on the congregation, uh, tell you a little bit about myself. So first, I'm a Fort Wayne graduate. A long time ago, I graduated in 96. I am um, uh, the husband of of, uh, my wife, Lori. We've been married almost 30 years. It'll be 30 years this November. Uh, We have three children. Um, uh, Our oldest son, Andrew, who is married to Nicole. And uh, we just found out that they are expecting uh, their first child. And we're very excited to become grandparents. Um, My um, middle son, Jeremiah, and uh, my daughter, uh, Rachel. Uh, Rachel is a uh, a sophomore at Concordia, Wisconsin, in their Director of Christian Ministries degree program. Uh, Grace Lutheran Church has uh, been around since 1955. Uh, We uh, are a mother congregation to many of the congregations in our area. Uh, we've been uh, sort of the, the, uh, the mother, you know, producing other congregations, some peacefully, some, <laughs> you know, in the Lutheran Church, sure. not peacefully, but we, uh, we are happy to have our, uh, our daughters out there uh, next to us. We uh, are a snowbird congregation, so we swell up in the season, and then uh, the season lasts usually from around October to uh, after Easter so uh, it's, a, it's a great congregation, wonderful music. We have a director of parish music, Jonathan Bernard, that does a wonderful job. We have a, a, a DCE and Cami Joe Mogulvang, who has uh, just been fantastic. We 
I, I'm the I'm the new man on the totem pole, and I've been here uh, I've been here 15 years, so I, I'm the new guy. Uh, so that just tells you a little bit about the longevity of our congregation and its staff, um, and and it's it's uh, it's a wonderful group of of faithful uh, members of the Lutheran Church. So we're we're happy to be serving in this area, and, and uh, we uh, started a, a little daughter congregation not too long ago. Uh, is Spanish speaking, so uh, we called uh, Pastor Mark Eisold. Uh, he is our mission and outreach pastor, and he planted the Pelican Lutheran Church uh, in Golden Gate Estates, not too far from where our congregation is located. And uh, so we have a Spanish-speaking daughter congregation. It's fantastic. That's wow. a little bit about, about Grace and, 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 uh, and also myself. Well, it sounds like you have a ton of things going on, which is, which is great. So you're probably busy, even though the, we're a couple weeks after Easter now, but still, I'd say that uh, it keeps you pretty busy down there in Florida. It does. We're we're actually even trying to get a school going. Wow. So uh, we the grass does not grow uh, <laughs> under our feet here at, at, at Grace. We're we're always trying to uh, proclaim God's grace, mercy, peace, uh, God's word in uh, law and gospel all the time wherever we can. And so we're uh, trying to find new ways to do that. Um, at, you know, around around. I think here. that's wonderful, so, and I hope um, God blesses all your ministry outreach efforts. I now I will say though now. We're turning toward the text a little bit. We're going to start off in prayer, but I have to say, you know, reading Judges 19, it is a, well, frankly, a pretty graphic text. Uh, if I would, I think if I would have saw that, I would have said, nope, no thanks. I don't think I'll be on the radio today. How, how in the world have you come to well, have this text? Uh, I came pretty close to saying that, really, to be honest with you. I uh, the, 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 the funny thing about all of this is, and this text is, not humorous in any stretch of the imagination. It is brutal. Um, but uh, when I, I had, you, you know, when I got the phone call, the email uh, that uh, said, you know, here are a couple of dates and a couple of texts, um, if you would like to be on the program. And I read the texts and I thought, oh my goodness, w one taping is right in the middle of Holy Week and the other taping is, is uh, after Holy Week, but it's this, this gruesome text. And so uh, our ladies were having a Bible class uh, led by our DCE, and I and I walked in there, and I told them, you know, here are my options, and uh, and they picked this one for me, <laughs> and I I don't know whether they did that because they were punishing me or whether they were they just wanted to hear what I had to say about uh, uh, Judges chapter nineteen, uh, the Levite and his concubine. Um, so uh, this here I am. Here well, as I listeners am. will find out, this is a reminiscent of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's you know we we've had these instances pick up or sorry show up in the scriptures time and again, uh, but we're going to pick it up. We're going to do our best by it. Um, I think it'd be a good idea though if we started off with prayer. Would you lead us in that prayer, brother? Absolutely. And and this, you know, I'm going to use a prayer from uh, the. Uh, from worship, and it's the it's the prayer, it's the collect for uh, grace to receive the word of God. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed truth of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. 
Well, we've been going through Judges, and now we are here. It's Well, we're almost to the end. There's chapters 19 and 20 and 21, and that'll be about it. But we are going to take this one on today. I think there's nothing to do but to do it. I'm going to read verses 1 through, let's say, verse 9. Here we go. In those days when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And his concubine was unfaithful to him, and she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there some four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. And his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank and spent the night there. And on the fourth day they arose early in the morning, and he prepared to go. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread, and after that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, Be pleased to spend the night, and let your heart be merry. And when the man rose up to go, his father-in-law pressed him till he spent the night there again. And on the fifth day he arose early in the morning to depart, and the girl's father said, Strengthen your heart, and wait until the day declines. So they ate, both of them. And when the man and his concubine and his servant rose up to depart, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, now the day has waned toward the evening. Please spend the night. Behold, the day draws to its close. Lodge here and let your heart be merry. And tomorrow you shall arise early in the morning for your journey and go home. All right, we're going to just take a pause there. So lay the scene for us. You know, he, he first of all, I guess what, what stands out to me is he's taking uh, himself a concubine and we're given some geographical areas here, right? So he's sojourning, a, a guest, a visitor in Ephraim. But the concubines from Bethlehem in Judah. He's a Levite. I, I guess you know, walk us through what the what the I guess the foundation of our, our whole narrative is here. Yeah, the uh, this young Levite man shows up in chapter seventeen, and uh, seventeen and eighteen are sort of about this Levite. Who is sort? He's an itinerant preacher. Uh, he uh, he becomes the pastor of a family, and then that family, uh, so the, uh, another group comes and steals him away from that family, and uh, he becomes their pastor in a sense. And then um, we get to chapter nineteen, where uh, this uh, this uh, Levite is is sojourning. There is. And that, that first uh, verse there, in those days when there was no king in Israel, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the idea there is that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, and that, that, uh, that idea of uh, there is no king in Israel appears in verse 17, verse 18, verse 21. So we're in that time period in the, in the Judges where People are lawless. People have no um, no one to guide them, and uh, and you you have this Levite uh, who is a, a, a clergyman, a pastor, a, 
a priest uh, in the order of uh, the Levitical priesthood. And he is, um, you know, he's collected these false gods. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's just not what you might call an orthodox pastor. And so um, he is sojourning in, uh, in the, the hill country of Ephraim. And if you, if you remember, Ephraim is the place where Eliezer, the son of uh, the, the, the brother of, uh, or the son of Aaron, uh, died, and he was uh, buried at Gibeah, which we're going to hear about in just a, a short period of time now. And, uh, and that whole town was then, that whole area was given to his son, Phineas, uh, who uh, was uh, the uh, high priest in, in those days. And uh, it is the hill country of Ephraim. And so this Levitical priest uh, from the line of, of, uh, of Eliezer and, uh, and the Levitical uh, tribe is, is out there. And he decides he's going to take a wife. And, you know, we have this word concubine, which shows up in Genesis a few times. And, uh, and here we have, we have it, uh, a concubine. Um, <laughs> you, you can have all kinds of ideas about what a concubine is, but the, the, the lesson here is saying that a concubine is, is a wife um, that does not have all of the, the marital rights as, as a regular wife. Um, but it is a, a wife nonetheless that uh, this uh, Levitical priest who is allowed to marry uh, has decided to take for himself a, a wife and he and he takes this concubine. We don't know her name. We don't really know her family. We, we know that she is, uh, you know, from uh, the house of Benjamin uh, or excuse me, from the house of Bethlehem uh, in Judah. And and that's about all we really know about her. Uh, she is, she is unfaithful, and it's interesting that, that the phrase there, she is unfaithful, uh, in, the, uh, in the Septuagint, in the Old uh, Latin, it said that she was angry, uh, not that, that, that she became angry with her husband, not that she was necessarily unfaithful. So you could probably look at this in two ways. Either she was maritally unfaithful and, and had sexual relations outside of her marriage, and, and then because she was afraid of being stoned to death, ran back to her father's house, which according to the law, if you commit adultery, uh, then uh, you, were, um, you were eligible to be stoned to death. Um, and so she runs back. Now, that's one reason that she could have run back to avoid this, um, her own death. Uh, another reason might be that she uh, is... Uh, She's angry with her husband. She's newly married. She's young, and um, and what happens in an off an awful uh, often in in young marriages, uh, husbands and wives they they begin to live together in their uh, marriage union as husband and wife after the marriage has has been um, uh, you know taken place, and now they're married and they go and they they live together for the first time, and as they're living together. <laughs> Uh, they, you know, they argue, they fight, and um, uh, that happens in, in every marriage. And, and so um, uh, because she is angry with her husband, she, she flees and, and goes back to her father. And, um, and so that, that's definitely a, 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 probably a, a possibility well, me, as well. well. Let me so ask either, you, though, which, which one do you prefer? Because I actually, again, I think it's dubious. I don't know that we can say one is for sure the right one, but there's one that I guess I lean towards. But which do you? Is she 
being unfaithful and running home fleeing punishment, or is she just really mad at him and goes home to mom and dad? You know, I I, I think it would be uh, that she is angry and and just running home because when when the Levite comes to her after four months, I mean, think about it, someone who has committed an infidelity. uh, Now, can that relationship be reconciled? Absolutely. I've I've witnessed that in in the in my ministry over the years, where I've had um, you know couples that have gone through um, infidelity, and then uh, by God's grace uh, through forgiveness, uh, they are able to work that through that and um, and and continue to love and trust each other over time, uh, and, and and so it's just four months that this has happened. So after four months, uh, he uh, he he has, he wants to be reconciled. He wants his wife back. And so he goes uh, to the, uh, to her, you know, to to meet her, to see her. So it is interesting. I, 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 you know, I'm not sure. I I really, you know, I, I, I'd love to hear what you, what you think, but, but I would, I mean, either one kind of, kind of lends itself to, to the, uh, to the account it is interesting at the at toward of it, at the end of this story. He seems to have very little mm-hmm. compassion for her, uh, and um, so um, maybe maybe it is an infidelity in which he is now still angry with her, but wants to reconcile. Yeah, I guess it is tough. Um, I, I suppose as I look at the whole narrative, which of course we haven't gotten through yet, but are we to see her as a sympathetic character who her you know spoiler alert her demise. Uh, is uh, that much more tragic, or are we to see her as someone who has fleeing justice and it gives a little asterisk to her demise? The reason why I lean towards her being a sympathetic character is because I don't think anyone should be getting out of this that she got what she somehow deserved because of her infidelity. Um, So as as horrible as that would even be to say. So I, I think that that's why I lean towards her being a sympathetic character. Plus, you know, he's he's not running after her. You're right. We'll get to it. His his reaction was a little odd. Uh, what comes up next? But but he runs back to her to obviously bring her back. It says her husband arose, went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. So he's not there to to, you know, inflict punishment or drag her back to his house. I just want to illustrate one more thing too, what you did bring up. But here he is, a priest, this Levite. And Levites are allowed to marry. Now, there are certain people that Levites may not marry. Um, in Leviticus 21, 13 and following, it mentions that Levites can take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman or a woman who's been defiled or a prostitute, he shall not marry. So it mentions some specific examples that he's not to marry, but it doesn't mention anything about concubines. And while we might have some ideas about concubines and their status in a household, it's certainly here that he's treating her kindly, and it, it even describes her dad as his father-in-law. Uh, so I, I definitely think that this there isn't a if there's an issue with them in the marriage, it's certainly her who's angry and run away. At least that's how I see it. Right, I, I would agree with that, and I and I, I and I think you're right. I mean, first of all, no one deserves to have happen to them what happens to her. She does not deserve any of this in any way, even if she is 
uh, an adulterer. She doesn't deserve to have what happens exactly. to her. Uh, but the the uh, you know the the I think you're you're exactly right in the response that um, uh, you know he and and we have we hear that word concubine and we think immediately of someone who is sexually immoral or, or even in, in servitude um, that, that, or something. Yeah, that's that's not that's not the case. Uh, it may not be the case here. Um, and you're you're right. He is. I mean. I think it, this is, in in some ways, uh, you know, a love story of, of of this priest, and he wants to he wants to marry, and he and he and and he is the the, the father-in-law is the girl's, you know, father. It's 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 his father-in-law. He this is a wonderful relationship that that just ends tragically. I mean, it's just terrible how this this goes from here, and 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 the whole thing ends in a war. Right. I mean, the whole thing and spoiler <laughs> alert, um, you know, the, the whole thing ends in a war. So I, I, I don't know whether a country would go to war or people would go to war over an adulterer. Right. Exactly. I think and that's the connotation I was trying to get at earlier. You know, not that anyone would think that she deserved it, but but I think we're supposed to understand that she's not a a so-called quote unquote bad person. Like there's nothing, there's nothing there for people to, to even have the glimpse of saying that she deserved it. And, and hence the war that, yeah, exactly. I precisely agree with you. Um, I do want to ask though, as we move on, you know, why is the father-in-law, he keeps delaying him leaving. He wants him to hang around. I, I get the, I get the idea here that at least so far in our narrative, um, she's not going back with him. Perhaps, or maybe she is. I don't know. Yeah, How I, do you see it? Yeah, I mean, it could be that she, you know that now that he has come to her and and uh, they they have been reunited after four months. That that maybe you know maybe there's a sense in which the father-in-law is trying to repay uh, a little bit of of the debt of the angst that has been caused by her running away. That maybe these uh, you know four or five days that they spend together in his house where he is feeding him and caring for him. And, uh, you know, they're having some, um, maybe some good wine and some good food and some good fellowship. And, and um, uh, you know, it's, just, it's verse six there. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together. Uh, you know, I, I think there is... Uh, there, there is this sense in which he is uh, trying to um, maybe um, smooth over any hard feelings of uh, of their uh, of, you know of these last four months where she has uh, has run back to her dad, um, and that maybe maybe that's it. Well, it certainly reminds um, me of a good southern goodbye, right? Every time he tries to get up and leave, he's like, no. Hang out, don't go anywhere, right? My my grandma, yeah. My grandma well, used that, to say, "Bring a nail, so that you got to guess nail it in the wall and hang up your coat." You know, <laughs> just just stay a while. Yeah. Well, and then you also have, I mean, you also have like uh, in Genesis, you have Lot, you know, um, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, the the the, uh, the the stranger is coming to bring destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot says, "You know, hey, come into my tent, spend some time with me. Don't go there yet." Um, and, and, and persuades him into, you know, uh, sparing, um, 
you know, for the for the sake of 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 one or ten, you know, uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah. So you do you do have that that this idea of come in and have some bread and have some food and have some fellowship. Um, I mean, that's a big thing in the uh, in the life of of the the people of God's a lot of hospitality I, I think in that culture too. Hospitality, you know, um, boy, that you could write a whole. Uh, dissertation, you know, for a doctorate degree on on the hospitality of, and, and I'm sure that it has been done on the ha- hospitality of, of biblical figures, uh, Abraham, Lot, you know, our Lord Jesus, uh, the disciples, um, you know, the Emmaus story, all, all that all that idea of hey, come step aside, have some fellowship, and I think that's what this is. Let me read just Um, a little bit more before we head into break. So this is going to be verses uh, 10 through 15. So we last finished with the father-in-law asking him to stay one more night. But the man would not spend the night. He rose up and he departed and arrived opposite Jabus, that is Jerusalem. And he had with him a couple of saddled donkeys and his concubine was with him. When they were near Jabus, the day was nearly over. And the servant said to his master, Come now, let us turn aside to this city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. And his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gibeah. And he said to his young man, Come and let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night at Gibeah or at Ramah. So they passed on, and they went on their way, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in, and he sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into the house to spend the night. Now that's uh, <laughs> that last part stands out to me, but we'll just begin at the top. So he, he doesn't stay, he leaves. And because of what happens next, we know that he has with him his concubine wife, right? Well, it says right here, his donkeys and his concubine. Um, but he doesn't want to stay in Jerusalem because I guess it's controlled by foreigners. He wants to stay among Israelites. Is there some significance to that? Yeah. Um, so uh, that uh, Jabez is Jerusalem, and uh, the Jebusites are the inhabitants of, uh, Ju- of Jerusalem that Judah could not drive out. Uh, these are the sons of Ham. Uh, these are the the you know the Canaanites. Um, these Jebusites. This is all part of that family. They are not. They are not Israelites. They are not. They are not um, followers of Yahweh. And um, and and so you know he finally gathers up his his family, his wife, his his concubine, and his uh, attendant and his animals, and he departs. And, and as he's getting, you know, the journey's not that long. It's not that far. He doesn't have really that far to go. Um, I, I, I didn't look up exactly how far it is from, you know, from the hill country uh, to uh, Jerusalem. But, I mean, he's probably, um, when, he got to, when he got to Ramah, uh, or Gibeah, we're only talking about maybe four or five miles outside of Jerusalem. I, I don't think he's getting, he doesn't have a long journey. You know I mean? He's sort of, so when you go to Florida, when you drive into Florida, people, I remember when we got into Florida, everybody is so excited. 
hey, we're almost there. Well, that's not the case when you drive into Florida, especially if you're coming to Naples. You still have eight hours to go. Um, he, he's toward the end of his journey, but they, because it's late at night, they decide to, to stay over. And they're looking for a good spot. They will not stay with the Jebusites. They will not stay with foreigners. Uh, they're looking for, for someone who's from one of the 12 tribes. And uh, Gibeah and Ramah, are both a part of the uh, the, uh, the the tribes of Israel. In fact, uh, Ramah is the home was the home of Samuel, uh, the prophet. So you know, I mean, we're we're getting close. Uh, he wants to stay in those areas because he thinks those areas apparently will be um, more uh, homelike. And you're right. When he gets there, and he, and he no one wants to take him in. No one wants to take them in. He just sort of sitting in the town square um I, I i don't know you know it's not like you you pop into the motel six or the holiday inn express um you know people would take you in uh, normally you know sometimes relatives would take you in uh and here here he enters this this town and, and there's no one there who really knows him or is willing to open up their door for hospitality at this point someone does um, but uh, that's after the break. Well, we will think about that as we go into our break. So folks, don't go anywhere. When we return, Pastor Lynch and I will keep on going through Judges 19. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Today is the Reverend Keith Lynch, pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Naples, Florida. Friends, thank you for gathering around God's Word with us this morning. You know that I love to hear from you. So you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can connect with me on Facebook. Just ask me anything. You just want to say hi, that's okay too. And if you like Thy Strong Word, why not share it with others who might enjoy it too? Thy Strong Word airs on AMH50 in St. Louis, or you can stream it live or on demand at kfuo.org, or using the KFUO app, or on your favorite podcasting service. There are so many ways to listen. I appreciate that you've chosen to grow in your faith with me and my guests every weekday morning. Thank you for being part of the show. Well, Pastor Lynch, before the break, we were just setting it up that he is now sitting in the open square of the city because... Well, I guess there's no room for him in the inn. <laughs> well, there are no inns. Nobody wants to take him into their house so much for the hospitality, I suppose. Uh, but that certainly sets up the scene for what happens next. Uh, anything else you want to cover before we move on? I do I do like that imagery, though, right? I mean, no one will take them in. Uh, and, 
And and I mean, I mean that that's I think that's beautiful imagery. But then somebody reaches out, right? Someone reaches Let's out read to open up 16 their through 21. And, and to them. Here we so. go. And behold, an old man was coming from his work in the field at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was sojourning in Gibeah. The men of the place were Benjamites, and he lifted up his eyes, and he saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, Where are you going, and where do you come from? And he said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem and Judah to the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, from which I come. I went to Bethlehem and Judah, and I am going to the house of Yahweh, but no one has taken me into his house. We have straw and feed for our donkeys with bread and wine for me and your female servant and the young man with your servants. There is no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace be to you. I will care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. Wow. So this is also in many ways reminiscent of what's going on at Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, we're really kind of seeing this distinction between the man from the hill country of Ephraim and the Benjamites. It's it's almost like we're wanting to paint the Benjamites with a with a negative brush. I, I, I'm not sure if that's what's intended or not, but that's what I'm getting. Uh, what do you see here? Yeah, yeah. They de- uh, well after this account, they they definitely get a negative. Well, sure. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it, it definitely becomes, it turns ugly quickly. Uh, and um, so, yeah, you have this you have this beautiful picture of this uh, old gentleman who invites them into his home. Uh, that, and he has uh, plenty. He, he uh, takes care of their animals. He feeds their, you know, the, the, uh, the livestock that they have with them. He, he makes sure that they have uh, food and, uh, and, and wine to drink. And then, you know, uh, before that all happens, he wash he has washes their feet. Um, you know, well, that's a that's a beautiful picture too. You know, I mean, uh, we have uh, you know the washing of feet happens uh, often in in the book of Genesis, and then we just had the washing of the disciples' feet by Jesus uh, over um, the Easter uh, season, uh, and and that uh, Monday Thursday there in the upper room, our Lord. Uh, does uh, for his disciples what this old man uh, did for the Levite priest, wash their feet, took care of them, uh, feeds them. And, um, and it says, you know, and they washed uh, their feet and ate and drank. Uh, God had provided for them on the journey and he's, he's uh, taking care of them through this, this uh, elderly gentleman. And then, as I said, everything goes bad quickly uh, after that. Um, apparently, they, they, the, the, uh, the Levite and the old man were, um, you know, really having a nice um, uh, long drink after uh, the dinner, um, maybe obviously somewhere in a different spot of the house, um, because, well, you're about to find out what happens. Well, let's do, let's get into it. So this is going to be verses 22 through 26. And as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, Bring out the man who came into your house, that we may know him. 
And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly since this man has come into my house. Do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. Okay, so uh, pretty, pretty horrific uh, imagery here. Uh, One of the things that I guess strikes me as a modern man, a modern Christian, a father, a husband, is while I certainly understand the old man wanting to protect the visitor, uh, just as we saw at Sodom and Gomorrah, it seems inconscionable to us that he would say, don't do this wicked or vile thing, and that the solution would be to send out his virgin daughter and the man's concubine or wife. Um, that's, I think that's what most people are probably going to stumble over when they try to understand uh, why, why that's any better. It just seems like the, uh, the abuse is horrific regardless. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are things in the Scripture that are just beyond our grasp. Uh, this is, I think, one of them. I, I, you know, I, it's like Abraham you know, uh, passing off Sarah as his sister because he's fearful for his own life. And he doesn't do it once. (laughs) He does it twice. So, you know, that is mind-blowing, is it not? I mean, so here you have, here you have um, this man probably in fear for his own life and for the life of his guest. And uh, he's going to give them an alternative that that seems worse than than the original proposition but you know i think they're both bad right i mean they're both bad you can either sexually assault this man or you can sexually assault these women they're both bad i mean they're both horrendous um, I mean, you know, we could, I think we could that easily, seems to be the solution. here we are thousands of years later, I think we could easily step back and say, and, and rightfully so, say that it was wicked, it's not a good alternative. I think it would also be safe to say that there's part of it that's a, a desperate and certainly cowardly attempt to protect himself and his guest, but how could it not be a gross violation of his duty as a, as a father? Uh, and of course, the other woman was a guest too, a host. Um, so you know, it's it's really tough for us to look at that, and it's it really cannot be justified or excused by any of the cultural or historical context. I think it just reveals the extent of the corruption and disorder of the people. You know, just how bad and depraved things had gotten. Because remember, the same thing happened yeah. in Sodom and Gomorrah, but we remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's certainly not, yeah. and I guess just so that it's ex- expertly clear, <laughs> um, it, it's certainly not 
the Bible saying this is a valid alternative to having the man be assaulted, just offer up any woman that you see. And the reason why I bring that yeah. up is because I know there are enemies of the faith and enemies of God who would characterize it that way and say, look, look how sexist and chauvinist the scriptures are. Yeah, this, this, there's, no, there's no one clean in this whole thing. I mean, you know, there, this is sinful all the way around. Um, you know, they're making merry, they're, they're, they're making their hearts merry, they're enjoying the fellowship of food and wine, and, and then these men, these worthless fellows, the Bible calls them, I mean, show up, start beating on the door, and they're coming after this guy. Uh, it, it is interesting to me, um, you know, that um, it says, the man seized his concubine and made her go out to them. Now, I wonder if the man who seized his concubine, is that the Levite or is that the old man that is the host? Um, I, 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 I'm really not sure. I guess I have just assumed that it was, I guess I was applying the his to the, the subject, right? So the man grabbed his concubine, so that would make it the Levite. But I suppose grammatically yeah. it could also be the old man grabbed the Levite's concubine. Um, that's difficult. Because he's called the Levite all the way through this account, and then all of a sudden, you know, they 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 paint him out to be the man, which which then um you know, then that paints the picture of, well, th this is a sinful situation. Here he is, like like Abraham, trying to protect himself by offering up his his wife uh, to be abused so that he would be spared. I mean, um, certainly, no, and, and you know, the, the people that are going, the men that are doing this, that are, that are uh, violating uh, the, this wife, this concubine, I mean, they have certainly a, a great sin upon them. Um, and, and so does, so does the man who sends the woman out. Um, you know, it is, it is, like I said, one of those Bible passages that you read and you're like, uh, this is just mind blowing, right? I mean, it's how can this be in the Bible? Well, I mean, the Bible is filled with a, a, a bunch yeah, of real, sinners, real people. Uh, real sins. You know, there's only one person in the Bible other than, you know, well, you could say the Trinity, but there's only one person in the Bible who's not tainted with sin. And that's our Lord Jesus. And he takes the sin of the world upon himself. So, um, you know, this, the, this book is, is filled with all kinds of corrupt and sinful people. Um, and, and here you have a, a, another account of it. And, and yeah, I mean, there can be people that would say, oh, this is hypocritical or this is, you know, see the Bible is promoting uh, sexism or, you know, and, you know, that, that is certainly something that people will say or can say. It, it's just the reality is the whole world is steeped in, in sin and, and the scriptures are just telling the story of that, that corrupt sinful nature the man um the adam right is is uh is is, is handing over uh, and these men these 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 men are doing corrupt things wicked things um i think the shock is supposed to be well just that intentionally jarring 
because we get the depiction of the young lady. She's mad at her husband. She goes home. We see the husband comes to get her, and he and the father-in-law are, you know, having a good time, making merry. Then he goes, and he sees this kind old man, and he takes him into his house, and he's feeding his donkey, and just it's just idyllic, and, and it just seems so peaceful. And then suddenly you have the depravity of the Benjamites, Benjaminites who are, well, looking to have their way with a man, so not only by force but also in a way that's not God-pleasing. Then, as you said earlier, no one is clean because then you, uh, you have the victim who's from Judah. You have the men who are from Ephraim. So everybody is then depicted in this dishonorable light and when you contrast it with Sodom and Gomorrah, where the Lord steps in to save uh, Lot and his daughters, here the Lord doesn't intervene. And, and, and I think it's indicative, at the very least, of the fact that the Lord has no people. You know, he, he's, not, he's not stepping in to intervene because his people have fallen so far. Yeah, it's so true. So true. And, and, and I mean, the, the, the imagery of Sodom and Gomorrah and this text are, um, you know, we, we have these, um, certainly throughout scripture, we have these sort of flashbacks or flash forwards, um, you know, where you have an account that seems very much like another account. Uh, you have the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000 um, in the New Testament. And, and you have these pictures throughout the Old Testament as well, where uh, the children of Israel wandered off and, and you know, the Lord brought um, some uh, chastisement into their life to drive them back. Here, I mean, um, it's just brutal. I mean, it's you just know, As brutal. pastors, we often will describe how the Israelites demanded a king and how, you know, God would have dissuaded them from this. But then when the king comes, we, of course, have that being a foretelling of the King of Kings, Christ, etc. Uh, but really, when we look at these types of events, and when we look at the whole book of Judges in its entirety, where the people continuously fall away from God, a judge, a redeemer comes and saves them, and then for 40 more years they fall away again. They again did what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and Judges hasn't mentioned a judge since Samson, so... I think, if anything, this is making the case that they need an earthly government. They need what is what comes with the king, and I think that's the that's precisely the argument that's being made by the author here, because it says uh, very explicitly in those days when there was no king in Israel. So it really seems like he's yeah. trying to make the point that the lawlessness is at least in part because there is no authority to protect the people. So it really legitimizes yeah, the office of kingship. And I, I think that we would do well to remember that, you know, even when we feel like we're being persecuted by our own government, and there's probably plenty of instances out there that we should resist, uh, I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater because look what happens in an era of lawlessness. Yeah, that that phrase, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, just seems to keep repeating itself throughout the throughout the judges, right? In those days, there was no king in Israel. And, and the idea there is everyone is doing what they think is right in their own eyes. And when that happens, uh, when they're not being led by the scripture or they're not being led by 
the king who should be doing the right thing, but often the kings didn't do the right things either. But when, but you know, the, the, there's a, there's a guide there. There's a rule. There's, there, I mean, that's what the Ten Commandments are all about, right? I mean, it's a guide and a rule. God gave us the commandments so that we wouldn't hurt ourselves, right? To keep us from hurting ourselves, to keep us from um, going down the wrong path. Now, you know, um, we, we understand that we can't keep the commandments like we should um, and, and that we fall short of them all the time. But they're there for us as, as the, the guide and the, the rule, the curb to keep us from, you know, just going right off the, the deep end, like what's going on right here in this account? You know, um, you would think that they would have the sixth commandment in their hearts and minds, um, you know, but it, but apparently not. Um, they, they have, they have tossed that aside because they have, because they have no guide. They have no one who, who will, um, who will show them what is right. And because everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Um, and so they, they think this, and, and, uh, and you know, <laughs> isn't that what's happening in our world today? I mean, hasn't that been the case? Not, not just today. I mean, I think that's been the case ever since Adam and Eve, the fall. People do what's right in their own eyes. They justify themselves by their own, by their, by their own belief in, in what they're doing is right. So you, you have all of this stuff going on in the world today where people are saying, well, I'm not sinning. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not breaking God's law. I, I'm, I'm doing what is right in my own eyes. And how can that be wrong? Then um, you get that's right. this. That's right. Well, you know, earlier we asked who it was that threw the concubine out. I think the way that it says her master, quote, uh, responds, her husband, I think that might actually give us a hint that it was him. But we'll, we'll see if what your interpretation is. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, verses 27 through, uh, well, 30. That's the end of the chapter. Here we go. And her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way... Behold, there was his concubine laying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, Get up, let's be going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into twelve pieces and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt up until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. So, I have to illustrate, to begin with, that uh, a couple of things really stand out. One is, it says he goes out the door to go on his way. Like, if, if he was the one who threw her out, he just didn't, it's almost like he didn't care. I mean, I mean, I don't want to read too much into it, but it just, it gives us this impression that he's just like, well, time to go. And then there she is laying on the ground, uh, having clawed her way to the door. And he just says, you know, get up, let's go. It's time to go. I, I don't know. I mean, I know I can read the intonation into it and maybe mischaracterize it, but how do you see this? No, I, I think you're, I mean, I think you're exactly right. I, you know, sometimes there seem to be like these gaps in, in the scriptures that we wish were filled in for us a little bit more detail, that we had all of the, you know what I mean? 
it's mm -hmm. it's uh, we're we're given what we need to know, but we're not given everything that was in the account. And I think that's what you have here. I mean, it seems so odd. I mean, he gets up, goes out the door, sees her lying there on the threshold, and says, "Hey, you know, get up, come on, we gotta leave." I, I, I mean, really, that's that's the response. I, I am just dumbfounded by that response. And when she doesn't get up. Oh, well, you know, is she dead? Oh, I guess. I don't, I mean, I think she's deceased. So he just sort of, you know, ties her on the donkey and, and takes her body away. Um, and, and then when he gets, when he gets home, I mean, then it just goes like sideways. I mean, he takes a knife and cuts her into 12 pieces and sends those 12 pieces to the 12 tribes. I mean, in what? I mean, sends them out. I mean, in one way, though, it kind of goes from him being dispassionate, like, all right, I'm just going to go. And he tells his, his deceased bride, all right, let's go. Come on. Then to almost being deliberately passionate about sending a message. I mean, this is something that yeah. is like a, a Hollywood horror film. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, or like a, a mob movie or something, you know, I'm going to take you know, what's left of her and send a message to everybody. And of course that message, um, and if you guys tune in tomorrow, you'll hear, uh, turns into a civil war, turns into a war with the tribe of Benjamin over what they have done to her. But still it's like, I, I feel, and I know exactly what you're talking about. The, the Bible gives us everything we need to know, but not, not always all the things we want to know. And one of the things I think we with our modern mindsets want to know is I, I feel like there should be some justice for her, not just because of the Benjaminites, but because of this guy and the old man, how are they yeah. getting away with it? I just think it's such a, it's such an affront to our sensibilities. And I'm going to, I'm going to argue it always has been. That isn't because we're modern. It's because we're people. And so when the people read this as it's recorded in judges or as the people even get the message when they receive the parts of her body in the in time and place I, I think they're they're rightly horrified it's supposed to be horrifying because it's supposed to show us what life without God is like absolutely absolutely you know when I when I first read this um, in preparation you know I thought uh, now not not that we uh, use the movies for our theology but I mean the account of William Wallace, mm -hmm after he is um, beheaded, his body is quartered and sent, you know, uh, to uh, the four corners of, of the empire and, in, in, you know, the British empire in Scotland and, and, uh, and so forth. And that just sends the Scots into a rage, um, you know, uh, and that's, I think, exactly what happens here. Uh, this, this, this Levite who is not a good guy. I mean, Reading, reading 17 and 18, and then now 19. I mean, this is not a moral. Uh, his moral compass is a little off. This is this is not. Um, if if your pastor, you know, were, were doing the things that this guy was doing, I don't know whether he would be your pastor for long. But but here here this happens, and and you're right. I mean, he seems to be getting off um, uh, scot free. Uh, for sending his his uh, wife out to be abused, and seems to be 
seems to have no remorse over the fact that she is, um, you know, spent the night outside and, and with this abuse. Uh, and now, um, you know, the, the, the rage sets in and he, and he does this and, and the people are, the people then, I guess, you know, as you said, is very, very, very well. The people of Israel, they, they see the, 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 the lawlessness of the Benjamites, uh, the Benjaminites, you know, they, they have, they have broken uh, the, the law in such a heinous way that, that God's people need to rise up and, 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 and start a war. Um, well, and that's just what, and, that's just um, what it, happens next because they're all going to respond yeah. to this message. They're going to gather together. He's going to recount the tale for them. And I think he gets it mostly right. He definitely leaves out the part where he throws her out the door, though. And uh, we're going to review that tomorrow. Uh, anything else? We're at the bottom of the show, brother. Anything else you want to share with the people before we go? Well, you know, just this one thing. You know, even though Scripture can be uh, a very uh, tough, and uh, it is God's Word, it is living and active, and um, and we, you know, we can even learn from these difficult passages. Uh, as we look at the clearer passages to understand exactly what God is talking about in law and gospel in our lives. Um, so, uh, you know, thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> Next time, give me a little bit more of a softball. Absolutely. But um, uh, this this was this was a lot of fun, and I really appreciate being well, with you Well, thank you, brother. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Keith Lynch, pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Naples, Florida. And folks, you know, the story continues tomorrow as the Levites' gruesome message brings the tribes to the brink of war. So join us for that. Until next time, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong hands.